Critics Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we spout off about springtime in Linux. Yes, all those distros are popping up. Let's get into episode eight. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. We are still down a mat. I am so disappointed, but I do have the absolutely fantastic OpenSUSE guru, Nate, with me today. How are you doing? I couldn't be much better, really. It's springtime. That means uh, things are going from being that awful gray and brown to you see the green popping up. And you know, green is one of my favorite colors. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> but do you know why? Well, green to me means like, you know, new life. New life in OpenSUSE. New life in OpenSUSE. Continued life in OpenSUSE, I guess, maybe. There you go. Yeah, springtime is, is one of my favorite times. In Michigan, we have long winters and they're cold and miserable and wet. And actually, I think I prefer the snow to the cold rain. Yeah. The cold rain is just really, really painful. Although the animals don't like any of the snow, it seems like they just hide in the barns or whatever. But in the springtime, you get that uncomfortable mud in the beginning. But then when everything starts to grow and the flowers start to bloom and everything else, it makes for such a wonderful time just to see new life come into existence. I don't know if springtime in Michigan is like springtime in Idaho, where... We have one day where it's so beautiful and nice, and the next day you're like, oh yeah, it still feels like winter. Just this major yo-yo between temperatures and weather conditions. So I wouldn't say springtime is my favorite. I guess March is a little rough, but as we get closer to May, middle of May, spring's not too bad. I'm a summer girl myself. I absolutely love the summer. Can't wait for it to get here. But definitely happy to see grass growing and flowers blooming and getting out of winter for sure. I'm also a huge fan of summer. I like the heat. I actually don't know why I live in Michigan because we only have like three, four weeks of summer, really. At least where I am. Like four good <laughs> weeks. Four good weeks. I mean, 90 plus. And four is probably pushing it. I like the heat and humidity. I feel like I can run faster and further. My knees don't hurt as much. And maybe it's an early onset of arthritis. I have no idea. I don't want to find out for sure. But I like the heat. I just enjoy being outside more when it's nice and hot out. That time is definitely coming for sure. And this week was one of those special weeks for you where there was an early edition of Linux Saloon. I'm so bummed that I missed it. But how did it go? I think it went very well. So Eric Adams, formerly from uh, DLN Extend, who's you know still part of the network, he's actually going to take the reins on the early editions of Linux Saloon. We changed it to being early edition because it's not just people from Europe that participate. It's actually everywhere. Uh, it's just an early edition. And it starts right after This Week in Linux wraps up. So it's like This Week in Linux and Linux Saloon early edition. A couple hours later, then it's the regular Linux Saloon. But the early edition is only going to be maybe once or twice a month at the very most. It's schedule depending, and we're not really sure how, where it's going to go. But it was a lot of fun. It was just more of a uh, an open mic night, but not at night sort of a deal. And had a lot of great participation from people around the world. A lot more people from Europe were able to join, you know, like Alan Pope or Popey. And it's always fun to have his input on a lot of things. I wasn't able to be there for a lot of it. Unfortunately, the parts that I was able to be in attendance, I really had lots of fun doing it. I think I had lots of fun doing it because because Eric was in charge of it, so I could be the obnoxious second is actually why I like it. I had, and I'm, I'm still working through a water issue here at a cubicle labs. It would be very expensive to fix, like a permanent fix. I have a patch for it right now, a mitigation. But anyway, early edition went really well. 
I really enjoy this, just the off the cuff, just talking Linux or open source or software, anything techy or geeky, anything that's tech or nerdy is a lot more fun to talk about with my e-friends because a lot of my local friends, they just don't care. For them, technology is only utility. It is for me as well. But the questions I get from you know my friends here is, I need a new laptop. Is this one good? And I know what they're doing. I would look and say, well, this computer is actually only marginally better than the one that you have now. And I can show them tech comparisons. Right. But that's the extent of it. Or it's, can you help me build something? And that's the extent of it. They don't really enjoy technology. They don't really have a passion for technology as much as it's just a thing as a means to an end, not so much as enjoy technology for what it is. If I'm honest, I realize that being into Linux and being in technology is actually kind of a rare thing. It's not as common as maybe I'd like it to be. Even with my kids, it's more of a means to an end. I mean, as much as I espouse my love for technology and incorporating it into parts of life, for them too, it's also utility. Linux Saloon allows me to have that more fun, passion-centered discussion about technology and the cool things you can do with it. And for me, it's kind of a necessary escape a little bit of an escapism and, uh, and also just to learn something new and to check something else out. I really, I super appreciate that we're able to continue Linux Saloon through the Destination Linux network. It, I'm very grateful that, you know, Michael and Ryan have allowed me to bring that to the network. It's definitely a really fun show and it's one of those virtual lugs that does allow you to have those connections with other people from all over the world and their love of Linux and just what's going on in that world at the time. The early ones are ones that I hope to actually be able to join a little bit more often. I do hang out on some later chats and stuff throughout the week, but I'm not always directly getting to be involved in those chats. I'm making dinner or something else is going on. But I would love to be able to join into this lug, and it just fits better typically into my schedule. It's not time that I'm putting kids to bed and all of that stuff. So you've got Fedora going on a new Surface Pro or a Surface Pro. Tell me about this Surface Pro that you've got Fedora running on. This is the one that I've had now for roughly a year-ish, I think, as I've had the Surface Pro. It's the one that I picked up at the pawn shop, one of my favorite pawn shops to go to, mainly because their tech doesn't seem to be overpriced. And I had been running Manjaro Linux. Everything had been running really pretty good. And there was an update that came down. And I know I'm going to get in trouble from BitShady because he's always like, are you checking the release notes for Manjaro? And I say, no, but I probably should. And then this time <laughs> I didn't. I don't know if there'd be anything in the release notes that would help because all of the other systems updated just fine, no problem. The issue came down to the custom kernel that I have installed on the device in order to get the touchscreen functionality to work. Now, this custom kernel does more than just aid in the touchscreen. It allows you to use all of the other bits and bobs and additions and stuff that can go specifically with Surface devices. I don't use any of them, but the touchscreen feature is pretty much a must-have with my children using these devices. And they do use them for school as well, especially with the Surface Pro 6, because it feels more like a tablet just in the form of this device and the way the keyboard comes completely off of it. So the kids will be like, hey, mom, can you log in? I'll type in the password. And then they immediately pull off the keyboard and go off on whatever they're going to use it for. <laughs> so... It has to have the touchscreen functionality on it. And when I did the last update, 
things completely broke. And on my husband's Surface book, I originally thought that the issue was because I let it fall asleep when it was updating. And that's been known to cause problems sometimes. And it didn't. That wasn't the cause of it. I shut it off, rebooted it, and then I had absolutely no input. The touchpad wouldn't work. The keyboard wouldn't work. I plugged in a completely different mouse, one that wasn't related to it at all, a USB mouse, and it still wouldn't work. Like, I literally had no input function at all on this device. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that's my bad. When there's an update that large, typically I set it so that it won't fall asleep. Because if it's going to fall asleep, it's not going to do it when everything is downloading. It's going to do it right in the middle of installing something and mess with something. I don't know. I've just, like I said, I've had that happen before. I've done that. So I figured that's what the case was because it did fall asleep during the install. And I went ahead and updated my Surface Pro 6. That one didn't fall asleep. I made sure that it was set to not do that. Walked away, came back. Everything was fine. Rebooted it. Same problem. And granted... When you have custom kernels or anything like that installed, it can mess with updates and all of that fun stuff. And I'd been chatting with all of the wonderful people in OpenSUSE lately and spending a lot of time talking to Neil. And I'm like, well, let me go see all the different places that I can install this custom kernel. So Arch is one, then you have Debian Ubuntu base, and one of the other ones that they have packages for, repos for this custom kernel is Fedora. And I'm like, well, why not? Might as well give Fedora a spin. It's been a really, really long time since I've used Fedora. So Fedora 35 is currently running on my Surface Pro 6. Of course, that custom kernel is reinstalled I really like the way that it's set up is because it's a repo that actually gets pulled into the basic updates. And as long as there's now no interference between Fedora's regular updates and that kernel, we should be fine. It's not a laptop that I think is great for everybody in the fact that if you're running anything custom like that, breakage is bound to happen. Whereas the Surface Pro 3 that I currently have my dad using, that one when I installed elementary OS on it, there was no need for the custom kernel. Touchscreen worked out of the box with that one, where it hasn't worked with Manjaro, it didn't work with Fedora, but it did work with elementary OS. So his Surface device isn't running a custom kernel, and I'm not really worried about that breakage happening with him using it, but it's one of the things that I have to deal with with our Surface devices and running that custom kernel. In Fedora, was there a custom kernel required or was it baked into it there? Nope, I did have to install the custom kernel from the repos because I did not have touchscreen usage without it. The custom kernel then is specifically for the Surface Pro devices to use the touchscreen? The custom kernel is specific for the Surface devices. It has a range of different ones from Surface Pro line and Surface Book. It gives touchscreen functionality and then it's got a list of other Microsoft Surface tools that you can use with it. There is like pens and a different controller hub. They've got lots of different little add-ons that you can use with Surface devices. And that kernel allows you to use those bits and bobs as well. I don't have any of them. The only thing that really mattered to me was having that 
touchscreen sensitivity. If Fedora had worked out of the box with touchscreen, I never would have installed the custom kernel on it. But because it didn't, that's when I went ahead and installed that custom kernel. So like for my dad, where it worked out of the box with elementary, I didn't go ahead and do that extra step because it already had the functionality that I knew he was going to use. That's interesting that Elementary would have that. Now, have you tried just a Ubuntu and see if Ubuntu had it automatically? I haven't, but I'm curious to know if it is something that's also baked into Ubuntu or if it's something that Elementary specifically did in order to get it to work. I don't know yet, but that would be an interesting experiment. Because I kind of wonder now, well, one, I kind of want to get a Surface Pro device just to see how it works work on OpenSUSE. Is that whole almost unhealthy obsession thing? But I wonder if it's a module that can just be installed or if it has to be a specially spun kernel for it. Because if Elementary has it by default, that would lead me to believe that it's something that could be a module that maybe they added if Ubuntu proper doesn't have it. So I don't think Elementary spins their own kernel up. And they also don't even have the latest kernel either because they use the LTS Ubuntu, if I'm not mistaken. That's very interesting to me. I, I really want to do some research on this just because. Yeah, that's a really good possibility. And it would make life so much simpler in getting the device reset up and ready to go. I don't know. That's something we might have to do a little digging into. Yeah, I'm super curious now. Hmm. I have to stop looking. What year did that Surface Pro <laughs> come out? I can probably look at Surface Pro 6. Uh, looks like 2018. That sounds about right. Uh, on Amazon, you can get them for 600 bucks. I paid less than that for mine. You're awesome. <laughs> of course, I got mine used, but I bought mine for 350 out the door. That included tax. And that was the last year. Yeah, that's actually, it's a pretty neat device. It says 4,096 levels of pressure with the Surface Pen. It does really have some cool sensors and stuff built into the screen. And that is one of the reasons why it's in more of a tablet style because you can use it like a drawing pad with the pen. Mm -hmm. I've actually thought about getting the Microsoft pen to go with it. I just haven't. It's one of those that's been on the list that, yeah, that would be nice to have, but I've never actually spent the money on it because there's been other things that we've needed or other stuff going on. Maybe one of these days I will have the pen and give it a true test. But in that case, I probably would need the custom kernel once again in order to have that flexibility with the pressure sensors. Right. It's a neat device for sure. All the sensors I put on that. It almost feels like laptop with a lot of the mobile device lickies and chewies built into it. What it sort of feels like to me just by reading about it. I yeah, say. exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what that device is and what it's made for. I think for the most part, they're wanting content creators use it. And in content creation, I mean graphics design, drawing, artists, that type of device. The Surface Book 3 we have right now feels more like a laptop. It opens and closes more like a regular laptop. The keyboard itself is far more solid. And typically, I'm a fan of the mechanical keyboards. But for the most part, I really don't mind the keyboard on the Surface Pro 6. The one on the Surface Book, I think, is just a little bit nicer. I like the key travel a little bit better. But when it comes to that ultra-thin chiclet style, it's really not that bad. Well, if it's not bad, then you can have laptop keyboards that don't suck. They're just not very common these days. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Exactly. I was just looking at the feature list that the custom kernel helps support. To use touchscreen, it says it requires the kernel, but that's kind of weird because it didn't on elementary. To use the pen, it requires the kernel, which to me makes absolute sense. Battery status, that only requires Linux kernel 5.12 or higher or the Linux service kernel. Yeah, I'm really curious as to why it worked on elementary now, like even more so. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting that it does. The cameras used to not work on the service device, but it looks like they work now. I might have to test that out. They don't for 7, 7 Plus, and 8. And when I first got this device a year ago, the cameras didn't work on it. But according to the updated feature matrix, the cameras now work on my Surface device, but not on my husband's Surface Book. Interesting. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so that you and your team can get back to doing what matters most building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one or a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up using do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So get started with that free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. It's springtime in the Northern Hemisphere, and for us, that always means there's a bunch of new distros getting ready to launch. There will be the Ubuntu class in betas, but there have been some recent releases or some betas that distros are asking for testing. One of the big ones on the list, especially for you, Nate, is OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 has a beta release going on. It's been really, really fun hanging out with some of the OpenSUSE crowd of their working on the beta, starting to push the beta out. Have you tested this? Are there specific features you're looking forward to? I have not tested this, but it's in my plan to do a live stream testing of it. Like I want to go through the process, just kind of hang out on a live stream and go through the process of installing it, chatting with people, answer any questions about it. But what's exciting is they're refreshing a lot of the packages, which is, you know, high time. Now the newer KD Plasma 5 cute release they have the upgraded GNOME packages, of course. They'll be aiming to make the H.264 codec and other GStreamer plugins easier to install. One of the irritating things for a lot of people about OpenSUSE is the whole codex thing. I even have a page on my website, cubiclenate.com, for installing the codecs to make it easier to be able to use different media and whatnot. And so there's been a lot of work by the folks at Fedora and OpenSUSE, and some are the same people, for getting those codecs bundled in with OpenSUSE legally. 
It's been a lot of work. I know Neil has talked to me quite a bit about it. But if the attitude from Sousa is that if Red Hat is okay with it, then Sousa is okay with it, which I think is really funny. But it looks like that page on my website will soon be useless. And I'm really excited to see that that is going to happen and that we'll have the, all the plugins and everything, the multimedia stuff right out of the gate where you can actually just enjoy using whatever codecs out there. I'll do some additional testing on it to see if you you can still do things like Netflix and Disney Plus and such. I'm excited to see that happen too. It's probably been one of my biggest gripes. It's probably one of the gripes across the community in doing a setup is it's just one more step that had to be done in order to install the repos that allow you to install the codecs and making sure you're getting all of the right ones installed. Having your cheat sheet is absolutely fantastic, but not needing it will be all the better. It'll be even more fantasticer, as I'd like to say. I think that's a word. Fantasticer? Probably not. I'll check the dictionary later. <laughs> <laughs> It's exciting, though, for the OpenSUSE Leap 15.4 testing is that there is swag they'll be giving for beta testing. So they're looking for anything to do to help improve the overall software distribution. So they'll be giving out things like shirts, hoodies, or maybe even a plushie of the Geeko mascot, which I only have one. It'd be nice if it had a friend, I think. The exact regards as to what it might be available hasn't been confirmed yet, but that's just some of the things you're talking about. So there may be some OpenSUSE swag for doing some testing. There's a link I'll have to the news article, which is from earlier this month. That's a really smart way to get some beta testers on board. Hey, come help us out, make this distro better, and potentially get some swag in the making. Is that how you got your Geeko is through this beta testing swag giveaway type? Or did you buy it? I bought mine, interestingly, at a local thrift shop. You know, those stores that they have stuff people donate or whatever, and then they resell it. Yeah. So I was just walking through that. I had no intention of buying anything. And I see this green plushie, small, sitting in this box. And I'm like, what are the chances that could be the Sousa Geeko? And sure enough, it is. It doesn't say open Sousa, it just says Sousa on it. Or it just says Sousa on it. I shouldn't say just Sousa because, you know, Sousa is great too. That's fine. You know, if I want to just say open Sousa, I just turn it around and you don't see it. But it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have. I keep it by my desk all the time because it's funny. And I do have another chameleon that is not green. That doesn't really look like the open Sousa Geeko, but it, you know, it's, it's a chameleon. I like chameleons. I think, they're, I think those are fun creatures. Yeah, definitely. Do some beta testing and get a second one that says open Sousa. Right. This way, Sousa and open Sousa can hang out. It'll be good times. Perfect. <laughs> so another Linux distribution that is in beta is Linux Mint Debian Edition 5. They had a beta release. So this is also a distribution that's otherwise known as LMDE for Linux Mint Debian Edition. And it's using the latest stable Debian packages based on Debian Linux 11, as well as the latest version of those packages. So they are in the process of doing testing as well. So if you'd like to help out that project, I know that they, all the distributions need help, but there is a link to that release as well. I've never actually used Linux Mint Debian Edition. I've only ever used the Ubuntu build of that. Have you used the Debian Edition? I've never used the Debian Edition myself. I played with Mint just a little bit in the very, very beginning of my Linux journey. But then when I found some other distros that kind of fit me better, I haven't really touched Linux Mint since. But from what I understand, those who like Mint are really enjoying the Debian Edition. It's nice to see them continue to work on this. And they really put a lot of time into it with like the Cinnamon desktop and all of the variety of desktop environments that go along with it. It's a really nice community. Congrats to them on this new beta test. I would be interested to hear from any of the community who uses Linux Mint. If you like one version 
Debian or Ubuntu-based better, and some of those reasons and why. Yeah, I'd like to know what the unique competitive edges of the Debian edition over the Ubuntu edition. To me, it seems like the Ubuntu has more of the updated packages. So I'm wondering what makes the Debian edition, what are its strengths as compared to the Ubuntu version? Yeah, absolutely. Sticking with that kind of Debian theme is Armbian, and this new release is 22.02. One of the coolest things about this is it is ARM Debian made for Pies and working with those. It's got new extension, framework build, general stability updates. We always like to see those come down with new releases. Rolling UEFI, ARM 64, and 86 images. Have you used this one? No, I've never actually used it. I didn't remember about its existence, actually. I mean, well, generally eyeball deep in OpenSUSE stuff, so I don't really sometimes see the other things that are out there. But I'm curious, though, like what makes Armbian unique from the Raspberry Pi OS? Like, I wonder what the differentiation is between those two. I like the fact that there is work being done on any ARM-based boards like the Raspberry Pi. More eyes and fingers on it, the better it's going to be for everybody. I do see that they're using the rolling Debian SID, one of the releases as well, which that seems kind of compelling. I don't know how stable SID is. I've heard some people who do run it, but I don't know what kind of process it goes through as compared to, let's say, Manjaro or Tumbleweed for ensuring stability. I want to look it up really quick. Well, Armbian does several ARM single board computers. It looks like Armbian has quite a large list of pieces of hardware that it supports. Anything from the bananas, the Pine 64 devices, rock devices, there really is a large list. I think the Raspberry Pi is probably probably the most notable because it's the one you think of. Hey, I've got this single board computer that I'm going to do stuff on, have fun stuff with, which is awesome. But it is also amazing that they support all of these different pieces of hardware. And that's probably the biggest draw for using this distribution for an ARM device is the sheer wide range of boards that they are supporting. Yeah, that makes sense. There's some I've never even heard of on the list that they support. Some I have. That's really fantastic. I've never tried Armbian, so I'm very curious to see how their installation processes, if it's imaging an SD card, or if, there's, if it's more of a traditional install onto an SD card, like a, an installer, ISO or whatever. But that's very awesome that it supports all these things. I'm looking forward to see Armbian continue and make these images for these different ARM-based systems. Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about having these conversations with you is there's distributions that I've never heard of before, like this one, where I get to learn more about them, figure out what they're doing. It pops up in the show notes. Oh, what does that have to go check it out? One that we are all very familiar with is Ubuntu. And of course, like I mentioned at the beginning of this chat, they have all kinds of betas coming out for all of the different flavors. And what's really interesting to me is that this LTS 22.04 is getting Wayland by default. I have not really been running Wayland. I did some kind of playing with it in the past when I was first using Fedora, Corora here back a few years ago, but it's not something I've actively been using. Is Wayland to the point where you think it's going to be an awesome LTS for Ubuntu? I think we're getting close to it. I think for most workflows, Wayland is pretty much ready. 
I happen to use some pieces of software that don't support Wayland yet, and that's uh, something called Synergy. It allows me to use one keyboard and mouse to control multiple machines. I do this enough that to not have it would be a major inconvenience, and since they don't support Wayland for whatever reason at this time, I don't have any desire to change over to Wayland. Now for like a standalone machine, you know, if I have my laptop and I'm just going to be away, I actually prefer using Wayland over X for general computing tasks or even gaming or whatever, because it does feel smoother and faster and better. Once I try and do the things that I normally do, that'll maybe a little more edge case, that's when it falls down on its face for me. Yeah, I haven't tried it since I had an NVIDIA graphics card and there was definitely some issues along those lines. I really should give it a test again and see how it works for me. To be fair, I'm probably already running it right now where I just installed Fedora and haven't even paid attention at all to the fact that it's running Wayland instead of X. And it looks like they've been working to get some of those bugs out that are dealing with NVIDIA, especially if this is a system that needs to do specific workloads. There's a lot of people that prefer NVIDIA graphics cards for them. NVIDIA themselves have been collaborating with Red Hat and Fedora to make this better, which is really, really awesome. Because when I had tried this before with an NVIDIA card, it really was a bit of a mess. There was all kinds of bugs and it's nice to see NVIDIA stepping up and helping to make Wayland work better. There are some workflows that really prefer to have an NVIDIA graphics card. Say if you want to use DaVinci for video editing, that software prefers the hardware and software that goes along with an NVIDIA graphics card and making sure that Wayland will work with that workflow, I think is pretty important for all of them together, especially if your distro of choice is Ubuntu. I love seeing those collaborations. I'm really interested to see how this rollout works for Ubuntu. And this is a call once again, if you have been using the Ubuntu betas, please let us know which flavor have you been trying? Did that flavor initiate Wayland by default or are you using just straight Ubuntu? How is that working for you? Have you noticed any glitches and bugs? It's nice to see all of that stuff get worked out in the beginning. I mean, you're always going to have extra little things that need to be fixed once the distro is released, but it's so nice to have more eyeballs on these things looking and checking it out to have the smoothest release as possible. I think it's great that Ubuntu is doing Wayland by default. I think this is the second time they've done this. I can't recall exactly, but it was a few years ago they did that. I know with the NVIDIA proprietary driver, they're not doing it by default. It'll still go to Xorg. NVIDIA is working on that, so that's great news. But I really want to see Wayland completely supplant Xorg. I think it's time to move on. The lower memory footprint and lower system usage that Wayland does seem to give to you is much preferred. And I think even for older systems or, you know, even not, any little bit of performance you can get out of a machine is all the better. I know there's some people that are like, I don't care. RAM is RAM. I've got all this RAM that I can use. But for workflows that are really RAM heavy, yeah, you may have a lot of RAM in your system, but you have it for a reason. And being able to squeak out those little bits of performance can make a huge difference for some people. I do remember when they were giving Wayland kind of a run, and that was on one of the in-between distros, one that wasn't meant for an LTS. And I'm sure that gave them some really interesting information and feedback from the community to help make this rollout that much better. It's always smart, especially for Ubuntu, where 
Some of their distributions are just short-lived, and some of them are meant to be LTS and run for a long time. And to implement those, let's see how this works, changes in the ones that they're not going to be supporting for more than a year. And then once they feel like they have it in a good position, go ahead and drop it in LTS like they're doing now. Yeah, I know a lot of people that run laptops they will benefit from Wayland. Absolutely. I'm curious to know if someone who is using a laptop, if they are running Wayland now or switch to Wayland, if they have any performance increases or battery life increases in their laptops when they're mobile off-grid power. Make sure you're talking with us about this. There is a link in the description so you can join us on the discourse form. You can also drop messages underneath the video if that's where you prefer. Tell us what betas you're testing what you've enjoyed about them, and how many bugs you've filed. This episode of Linux LR is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have, it includes a random password generator, you can set the length of special characters, and so much more. But here at its open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account now. It's that time again. It's time for Game of the Week. Oh, wait. No Game of the Week because Matt's not here. That's right. No Matt. Gosh dang it. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to skip Game of the Week two weeks in the row. Oh, Matt. So how many games is he going to show up with next week? I know he's sad. I know he really wants to be here. Gosh dang it. Things keep coming up and getting in the way. But maybe next episode will have to be a complete and total game episode of Linux gaming to make up for all of the Matt being gone. Yeah, he has to sort of pay interest on his uh, lack of being here the way I see it. Absolutely. <laughs> you have been working more on this Commodore 1541 imposter build. I've been seeing pictures in the back end I'm so excited on how this looks. Tell us what happened between last week and this week. Well, between last week and this week, I did some final revisions to the tray that holds things. I got the proper screws to hold everything together. And I went to do a final assembly and solder up everything together. And I couldn't close the lid. I didn't take into account one of the four posts that hold the case together was right where my SSD connector was routed through. And so there was no way of making that work without destroying either the drive or the connector or the post. Oops. I know I really pushed it to its limit. Yeah. So I had to fix that in the model. Basically, I spun the thing around the orientation of the SSD so that the cable goes the other way. Also, I didn't leave enough clearance for the connectors on the USB hub that goes inside of it. I could have fixed that without a problem just reworking it by hand. But then when I combined it with the fact that the two ports I have for USB connectors on the back, USB-A connectors on the back, those also didn't quite line up. I think it probably might have worked, but it would have been not convenient. So I had to shift that over as well. After examining the build a little bit more, I also determined that I could tweak the design to make it slightly better as far as alignment and fitment and everything. So I did make some more tweaks, ended up being like nine adjustments total to the tray that holds all the bits and pieces. And it's printing right now as we're recording this. So hopefully tonight it's like 23 hours to print the thing. So hopefully tonight, this will actually be my final print and I can put it together and start using it. So next time we record, I'm going to say to you, hey, it's done and I love it. I don't know if I'm going to love it. Actually, I know I'm going to love it already because 
I've used it in a exploded state. It was already excited and giddy. I just have to get everything to fit in there, tighten it up, make it so it doesn't look like the spaghetti mess that I showed you in the picture. Use some zip ties and the like, and wire in the original front LED on the device itself. What I'm really excited about is I actually have put a rocker switch in the back like the original 1541 had, similar to. When you turn it on, it will actually light up. It's kind of exciting. I don't really need a rocker switch in there, but I really wanted a rocker switch just to have. You know, it's, it's going to stay on almost all the time anyway, but having the ability to turn it on and off without having to unplug it, I think was kind of an important feature just in case I have to reset everything for whatever reason. And it makes it feel more like an actual imposter, the realm you are going for. I've loved seeing the iterations of this picture. What do you do with all of the prints that didn't work? And I have to commend you for going back and just fixing it because that means once it's on Thingiverse, you've already worked out those bugs. So it's not going to be a print that's done. And then somebody's like, oh, I want to copy this exact thing. But now I have to trim down all of these ports too. You've made those adjustments. It's done. There is no hand trimming, hopefully, once it's printed. Right. The prints that are failed, right now they're in a pile because I will show in the video that I do on this how many iterations I went through. So I'm on the ninth iteration of the tray. And I think the second, the bracket that holds the, the actual media card reader on the front down. The issue is I don't have all the best measuring equipment. I know I have a set of calipers. And so I'm doing the best I can with what I got. And then I'm having to measure a lot of surfaces that are curved. So things aren't, they're not as easy to do. You know, if I had one of those like laser scanner things, it'd be a lot easier to import that cloud of points. Oh, yeah. But I don't have that. And that's real expensive. And I'll, I'll probably never have one of those. I mean, maybe eh, the price might come down. Maybe there's a Raspberry Pi version of it that someone put together. Who knows? Positive thinking. Yeah, positive thinking. Let's be positive. Let's be positive. Um, I will actually weigh out how much plastic that I printed off that was not used or that's just for engineering, the engineering parts, basically. I'll determine what my actual costs were that I basically wasted, not really wasted in plastic, but as part of the design process. What I'm going to do with that plastic ultimately is reuse it, not in a 3D printer, but I will save the plastic and grind it up. And when I get my plastic injection mold machine, which is, this is a few months down the road. I have other things that are coming before that. Then I can make other things out of that as well. Because you can recycle plastic, not indefinitely, but you can recycle it many times before it's totally broken down. The issue is it does actually biodegrade essentially every time you heat it up and extrude it. So you can only do it so many times before it's no longer any good. But if you keep adding new plastic to it, then you can stretch it. It will be recycled completely. I mean, maybe bits of it will fall into the garbage, but for the most part, it'll be recycled. All kinds of fun toys coming to Cubicle Labs here in the coming months over this next year. This is a really, really awesome build. I'm excited for you to see you put this together. It's not necessarily something that I would have on my desk, but I can live vicariously through you <laughs> and your vintage imposter tech. Yeah, I don't see very many people wanting to build one of these for themselves. I mean, who knows? Maybe. Maybe someone's got a 1541 case out there and a 3D printer and a bunch of other garbage you want to throw in there. I mean, really, you could do much less what I'm doing. I'm packing as many features in there that I know I will use. And someone else could do something and dial it back a little bit very easily, not take nearly as much time getting it all set up. So Wendy, I see you become quite the coding expert on robots. Are you going to build the next Lieutenant Commander Data to command the Starship Enterprise or operate the Starship Enterprise? Expert? I would say absolutely not, but I am having a <laughs> ton of fun with it. Last week we talked, I had ordered my robot. It showed up on Friday, the Friday before this recording, and I immediately had to start diving into it. So all of the bits and pieces weren't out of the box yet yet, but I had the hub 
got it charged up and started immediately playing with it. Now, one of the things that I thought I was going to do was use Pybrix on this device, but when chatting with, of course, some more of those awesome people from OpenSUSE, I found out that there is an extension for Visual Studio Code for the robot that I have, which made me absolutely excited. If you remember, one of the things that I wanted to do was skip that proprietary application and do all of the coding in a full featured desktop available application. And VS Code is definitely one of them. I already have that set up, got myself added to the dial-out group, got the extension installed, and I spent way too much time playing with Python on this robot when there was other things that I really, really needed to get done. Oh, is in like, <laughs> forget to record this show because I was playing with the robot. It's totally acceptable as far as I'm concerned. I don't blame you at all going like eyeball deep into something like this. I'm afraid if I were to get one of these things, there wouldn't be any more shows that I could be a part of. Like I would just lose myself and playing with Visual Studio Code and coding a robot. That'd be the end of it. Plus it's Lego on top of it. That'd be the end of me right there. That just completely and totally adds to it. I have the scratch <laughs> version of all of the code that the kids wrote for our competition over this last year. We are done for the year as far as competing, but I still have all of that code and we still meet for the rest of the school year on Thursdays, working out some of those things that we didn't have time to do during competition. But now that we have time, we might as well use them as a learning experience and then be able to apply that knowledge when we are preparing for a robot game next year. So I took run two. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the easiest run, but it's the run that I'm most familiar with because that's the run that my son was involved in. I was there for all of those practices and I really saw how it worked, what it was supposed to do at a time. And I took run two and converted it from scratch into Python. Oh, wow. And I can't wait to run it. It has been bothering the crap out of me to know that I have this code written and I can't actually test it on the table until Thursday. Wrote it Monday. I'll get to test it <laughs> Thursday. So at time of recording, I get to test it tomorrow. And you'll get to hear about how that works. Is there any shot at you recording some video of it happening just to, um, I don't know, I think that'd be a, at least for me, but if you want to share it with the rest of the community, that'd be fine too. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I'm going to record the first run of this. Whether it's good or bad, it's good information to have. I had mentioned on Mastodon that I had spent time writing this code. I'd shared a picture of my screenshot from VS Code and said, it's probably bad. It's probably not good code. I'm still learning. I would like to learn the right way, which thanks to Neil, I've gotten some tips and tricks there. But I'm still new to this. And I'm not sure that its first run is going to be exactly right. Because one of the things that we did between writing that scratch code and me rewriting it in Python is our wheel size changed. We ended up putting a larger wheel on them in order to make sure that the light sensors were work. The light sensors were just a hmm. little bit too close to the ground. And so the light that is actually on them to help highlight the colors that are underneath it was then too bright. So it was only reading white because of that reflection on a surface that is shiny or has a bit of a smoothness to it. If it was on a regular paper, it was fine. 
but for our game mat, it was just too shiny for it to actually read. So the wheels went up. I did accommodate for that in the code. I did write it based on the diameter of the wheels that we have, but I don't know how that's going to affect the turns yet. I don't know how that's going to affect the overall distance in its travels. There's so many different variables that need to be accounted for. So I will take the robot. I've already downloaded the stuff. We will get there extra early on Thursday. I will have my son help me set up the table so I can run this code before the kids get there because it's their robot, like it's their class. I don't want to be taking up their time with my playing, but I do want to see how it right. works there. I will have the Surface Pro 6 with me. It's already set up to go to code the robot on and I can make some changes and tweaks before the kids show up and have a video. I'll have him help me or maybe one of my other kids record it as it's going so we can see what happens. How well does it work the first time? I don't know. I'm not counting on it working right just because I don't have that kind of luck, but I can't wait to see how it works. <laughs> and I'm excited, getting all excited just standing here, listening to you talk about it. I cannot wait to see that video that you send tomorrow for me and then for everybody else, you know, whatever, on this. The whole robotics, Lego, Linux, all together. Man, and you are living the dream right now. It is definitely an awesome combination. Awesome combination. I have included links in the show description for the extension that I'm using in order to code the robot on. Thanks so much to those who put this extension together. It is awesome that this already existed. It's a free extension. You don't have to pay for it. And it's going to make coding with the kids so much fun. I like it so much better. I did do some of the coding in the proprietary application before when I was trying to learn, trying to figure some of those different bits and bobs out. And coding in VS Code is just so much nicer. I like those themes. I like different parts of it being in different colors. I love the autofill feature. So it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to show the kids and I can't wait to test it out tomorrow. That is too cool. I don't know what else to say. It's just very cool. <laughs> it's very cool. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting dealandextend.com contact. If you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Hey, there's a hint. If I'm dropping the video early, it's probably going to be there on Mastodon. Go check it out. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, the Fedora Podcast, Destination Linux, and so much more at destinationlinux.network. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like a gamer-centric I paused my game to be here shirt, plus so much more from shows across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. <laughs>